and there is there is a truth that if you're going to be a creator you simply have to develop a thicker skin in today's episode i am talking to literally one of my favorite humans on this planet jen hatmaker is an incredibly successful author and speaker and if you don't have a girl crush on her already i promise you will after this podcast check it out I would love to start by, for people who don't already know you, who've never heard of Jen Hatmaker, will you tell us a little bit about your history, your career so far? I am an interesting career person because I'm not at all in the career that I planned on being in. I, when I went to college, I studied education. I had no idea exactly what I wanted to do. So um, I was sort of near my lane, but not in it because yeah. I still teach, but I teach a completely different set of people now. But so I was, I took fourth grade and, and then I just had like a zillion babies all in about five days. <laughs> and so I was staying home and just raising all these littles. And there was this sort of just nagging, uh, gnawing idea in the back of my head because I always loved to write. I loved it. I'm a, I'm a big time reader. I'm a big time writer, but I just did it. You know, I just, I, I remember asking Brandon, my husband, is this a job? Do people write for a living? Is that a thing <laughs> at a really absurd time? I mean, truly, truly on a fool's errand when my kids were one, three and five, Oh my gosh! I wrote a book. Yeah. Right. What in the world? I didn't even have a laptop. I did not even have an email address. It was 2004. My husband bought me like a $200 used laptop, like out of some back alley. I did not know what I was doing. I mean, it's not like anybody was asking me, hey, would you write a book? <laughs> Zero people are asking yes. me. Yes. Um, but I just, I went, I thought, I'm going to give the, I'm just going to do this. I'm going to give it a go. And I gave myself a deadline because I don't know. I just thought that seems like something writers would do. Yes. So I gave myself like four months to write it. I said, I'm going to be done with this four months from now. And honestly, I don't even remember it. I don't even remember writing it. I don't even know how I did it. Did I do it in the middle of the night? I'm not sure, but I did it. I punched it out. And so that was in 2004. That book got picked up along with four others. I had like a, I had a five book contract and wow. It, and it was off to the races, oh off to gosh. the races. And so what's so weird, and you know this too, Rachel, that when you write, and that was all in the world, that was the only dream I had in my head was yeah. to put my fingers on a laptop and write words. Mm. But when, when you write, people are like, Oh, come, come speak, yeah. come speak at our thing, come teach at our thing. And I was like, do you think I can do that? Like, <laughs> did somebody tell you I could do that? And so this sort of whole speaking career spiked right up alongside a writing career. Um, and then it just turned into this whole community, online community that I love and I treasure. And I mean, nobody is more surprised that this is my life than me. That's so awesome. Will you tell the story that you told last week during that panel about, oh, I forget the exact setup, but you were talking about sitting somewhere and not yeah. believing you could do it. Will you tell that story? Yes. I had this idea of this being a nice, quiet little work and I, I'm introverted by nature. And so I like, I like to be in my house. I like to be in my own head and i like things to feel kind of tidy and manageable. Um, and, and this all was getting away from me so fast. It was growing. Then all of a sudden I found myself in rooms of people who were saying, 
we are your people and we are going to see this through together and we're going to put this, we have all these audacious goals and, and we want to um, sort of build this alongside of you. And it was so overwhelming to me because mm-hmm. it just was not what I expected. And I, I, I wasn't sure if I could do it, to be honest with you. I just thought, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can handle this much pressure. I don't know if I can take this much heat. I don't know if I can please this many watching eyes, which yeah. by the way, news break, you can't. Yeah. So I wish somebody <laughs> would have just told me that early on, just put that one in the grave. Yeah. But I just, I didn't know if I could do it. And all these people were putting a lot of, of trust and investment and work into me. So I'm in this room full of publishing people and, and, and brand developing kind of people. And, and they're talking about ideas and future and goals. And I am freaked out. I mean, I'm just completely freaked out and I'm sitting there and I like a kindergartner. I'm like, I have tears pouring down my face, just thinking, I don't know if I can do it. This feels like a pressure cooker and I'm not sure if I'm capable. And, um, everybody else is totally enthusiastic and I'm just sitting there still wringing my hands. And finally, one person at the table said, Jen, are you going to sit here and cry or are you going to show up for your own life? And I was like, oh my gosh, like all these other people are showing up for my own life and I'm not even doing it. I'm not even doing it. And it was like a little switch just honestly flipped. And I thought, you know what, this is, I need to stand strong. I need to stand up. I need to get my crap together. Mm -hmm. I need to realize that some of this pressure is just invented. I'm inventing it. I'm making it up. So rather just put my head down and work hard. Mm. And that's really what I've done ever since. And I am so glad that person called me out and like, he just had my number. So I I tell, ask women that all the time. Are you going to show up for your own life? You're going to fret about it. You know, which, what are we going to do? Which way are we going to go? Yeah. Was that moment or do you have another moment that felt sort of like the defining, oh, this is a career. Because I think we've talked about this a bit, and I know this was something that was big on the focus at last week's um, conference, was women too often doing something they're really good at, but sort yeah. of poo-pooing it away and acting like it's a hobby. Um, so totally. was there a moment where you felt like, oh, this isn't just something that I do because I like words. This is actually my work. Yes, you're so right. I, mine, I, I would say that my career grew kind of slow enough for me to sort of, at least in the very earliest stage, to really get my head around the fact that this is a job. I mean, when I first started writing, I was still assuming I was going to go back to the classroom. Mm-hmm. I thought, well, this is a, this is my side thing. Yeah. You know, this is my hobby job. Yeah. Um, and it's a cute little thing that I get to do and it's creative and I enjoy it. And then very quickly, the demand, the, just the time demand alone, I went, Oh my gosh, I, this is, this is an, this is work. This is an actual J O B. Yep. Um, and so that's when I got really serious about my life too, that my kids were still little. So I had to carve out work time, like a person with a job Yeah. and (laughs) that's how that went. Yeah. And I started making decisions, um, like a person who was going to take this really seriously. And of course now, I mean, it's so funny because I love what I do so much. I, I almost can't believe it's a job. Yeah. I, I, I can't believe it. I cannot believe I get to do it. And it's so energizing for me. Um, but for sure, I, women have to, to decide um, as they are in their careers that, you know, they're going to they're gonna treat it 
like it's important yes, and like it matters and that they have something to say and they have something to offer and not feel like it's upon their shoulders to work it in and all the cracks, mm-hmm. you know, women just do that. Like I'll, I'll, I'll bear everybody else's weight yes. and then I'll do this thing at, you know, one in the morning yes. and there's a, there's a season for that. Sure. I get that. But you know, I, I, no one else is going to take you seriously if you don't take yourself seriously. Yes. I know you're a big reader, but is there a book in particular that you feel like has been on the career side, incredibly Mm. motivational or helpful to you that you would recommend to other people who are in a similar space? I've been inspired by so many writers and in different genres, actually, toward sort of business development. But one that has been particularly useful to me in the last five years, and I would say this is for the women listening that have a lot of different streams in their work, a lot of different avenues, a lot mm-hmm. of different options. And you're like this too, Rachel. Cause yeah. you, it can, we can dip our hands into 15 buckets seamlessly. Yeah. You know, like this, this fits, this fits, this fits all, all of it actually is on brand. Yeah. You know, it's, it's all a great opportunity to connect with readers and with listeners and there's no end of good ideas Yeah. and there's no end of opportunity. And I find myself in similar space It's interesting because for me, sort of in Christian works, we add on top of all that opportunity, the whole notion of um, should, like Mm. I should do this. I should do this because it's good for somebody else. I should do this because it's Christian. You know, I should do this because I'm charitable. I should do this because this has merit in God's work. And so for me, piling those two things together meant that probably five years ago, I I was at the very absolute height of burnout because I said yes to everything, just absolutely everything. I could not figure out how to um, filter. I could not figure out how to draw boundaries and what my specific lane was, not mine plus the three next to me. Mm. Um, And so I read a book, uh, my agent actually put it in my hands and it was called essentialism. Mm, I've and, heard of this from so many people. Oh my, I mean, I, I, I am not trying to be dramatic, but it did change my life. <laughs> I mean, it really did. It changed my life. And it just, it was this stable, wise voice grabbing me by the hand and walking me through the process of prioritizing. Mm. It was incredibly liberating. And so I got to the end of the, I literally got to the end of the book, closed it, sat down and made a list. These these things are no, 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 no. I'm going to cancel these. Yeah. I'm going to pull out of these, or I'm going to say no to these in the future. And it's given me such a, a more narrow focus to do what I'm actually really good at yeah. to serve my people at the highest capacity because I'm not so scattered. I'm not so fragmented and exhausted. Um, and then to save more of me for the rest of my life, for the yes. family, for the kids, for my friends, for my church. And so I, I feel like I'm a very different business minded person now than I was before I read that book. I can't recommend it enough. So good. I, it, it makes me think of something that I try and balance as well. And I'm sure a lot of other women do in different areas of their life, which is if you have a job like we do, where you are <laughs> often giving the best of yourself to everybody so much. Yep. And then there are times where you get home and you're exhausted and it feels like the reverse of what should be true. We should totally. be giving the best to our children and our spouse, but we're, we're so busy giving it away to everybody else that we have nothing left for us. 
Um, is exactly. that something that you've walked through and how do you feel like you have learned to manage it? Oh man. I mean, it's with a lot of regret that I look back on a, a handful of years of my career there where, I mean, I, I just ran on chronic empty, yeah. just perpetual empty. And of course the people who pay the price for that are the ones that are closest to you yes. because they yeah. can, yeah. you know, I can't bottle up all my crazy and unleash it on my, my work partners, yes. you know, my publishing team. I, I can bottle it up, unleash it on my husband though. Yeah. Uh, and on my kids. And that's where it all came out. That's where it all came out sideways. And so you're right. I, I think there's a myth that it's either, or either you can be this really present, engaged mom and wife type, yeah. or you can be this really effective, highly productive, um, career person, but it's either, or, and that's really not true. There is, there is a way to do both of those things with excellence. It really is. And yep. so we sit down, I sit down with my husband about usually about twice a year or so. And we kind of have a come to Jesus meeting and we just say, how are we doing? Yeah. How are we feeling? Are you seeing something in a kid that I'm not seeing? Is there a blind spot that I'm missing on travel? Cause you know, I travel for a living yes. for a big chunk of what I do. Yeah. And I don't know what's going on at home when I'm not here. So he's able to say, I'm seeing this in your absence or whatever. And and we adjust. So I've not had one year exactly like the year before it ever in Mm. my career. Yeah. We, we turn the dials constantly and my kids are changing, you know, five years ago, they were all little. Yeah. Now they're all in high school and college. And so that, that's a different me that they need. I have this tendency because I'm sort of an extreme person when something feels wrong, when, when we feel out of balance or my family feels out of whack, or I feel like I am depleted and can't, my tendency is to just want to burn the whole thing down. Like, I guess I should just quit. You know, like, I guess I should just quit. Let me yeah. just, I'll just, I'll work at Starbucks or I'll just not have a job. Or yeah, I just, I have this real irrational yeah. feeling like if something's off, then I should just, just cash out. Yeah. But, but the truth is what my, my, experience has taught me is that nine times out of 10, sometimes some pretty minor adjustments make a huge difference. Yeah. So I don't necessarily have to say I'm never going to travel anymore. I can just say I need to cut out one trip a month yeah. or whatever it is. And that we feel it. We viscerally feel the effect of that adjustment. And so if, I think for some of your listeners listening in, if, if, if a piece of your life right now feels out of control, Imagine what it would look like just to turn the dial a quarter of a notch. Mm. What could that be where you don't throw the baby entirely out with the bathwater, but you just change the bathwater a little bit. So, and I get it. I mean, I, most of us slip into that entropy with well, good intentions. We don't have a lot of bad choices in front of us. The problem is we have too many good ones. Yes. Um, And so that's usually where I get in trouble is being unable to separate good from best. Yes. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you say that, and it sounds an awful lot like, um, I will say for, for those people who are reading, my favorite Jen Hatmaker book of all time is Interrupted. Uh, but, and mm. you know this, I've told you this a million times, mm-hmm. that will take you a lot deeper. But if I feel like if someone wants to dip a toe in the water, I always recommend that they start with For the Love. And Perfect. everyone should go get it right now. You will pee your pants laughing. You, It's just so great. Um, but there is my favorite part of that book is when you're talking about the beam and mm. how do you balance yeah. everything on the beam and how you personally decide what you will and won't keep. Will you speak to that a little bit? 
Mm-hmm. Um, I just used this metaphor because uh, at the time when I wrote that essay, my daughter Remy was in gymnastics, which for kind of a clumsy, um, lanky, skinny girl, it's sometimes painful to watch. I'm just going <laughs> to tell you that, right? I know we're supposed to say our kids are amazing and everything, but she has no Olympic future. Um, anyhow, she, I was watching her on the beam, just trying to do all these tricks that she was just unable to, she could not stay on that thing. She just kept falling off. And these were, there were just too many dips, too many, too many turns, too many, she just, it was overloaded. And so I had this metaphor in my mind of just trying to put too many tricks on our beam and it's a loser's game because you cannot stay on it. You just cannot, you cannot stay afloat. You know, you're off the whole time. And so my sort of shorthand hashtag on that is off the beam. Yeah. And so that's kind of our, that's how we brand it in our family. We're like, you know what? That's off the beam. That's maybe a good thing. And it's maybe good for somebody else, but not for you or not for me off the beam. And so there's a lot of freedom in that. One thing that I've learned is that when we take ownership of how much we say yes to and what we are willing to say no to. So my experience is that when I finally said after reading essentialism that I've got to unload the beam, I've got to get some stuff off here. Um, that when I politely declined, people are very gracious. Yes. I mean, absolutely gracious. In fact, almost grateful, like, Oh my gosh, you, it almost gives other people permission to, to be a little bit more choosy and discerning on what they do. And so I have never had somebody say to me, well, that's just really disappointing. Like I really, (laughs) that's, you should have said yes, because you're a Christian. Yeah. Instead, they're like, I respect that. And so, and and I've got a lot of language around it that is truthful. Like I tell people like, listen, I love what you're doing. And nine times out of 10, I am telling the absolute truth. Yeah. Um, Like, I love what you're doing. I think this matters. It's important. You're amazing at it. At this point in my life, any new yes that I give, it's a no to my family. And I've, I've handed out all the yeses I can hand out. And people are like, awesome. Great. Thanks for your honest response. And And I absolutely stole that line from you and use it ever since I read the book. And I will also speak to the fact that it works because typically it's a woman asking and they totally get it when you're like in this season, if I say another yes, that's less time I'm with my kids and I just can't do that. They're like, oh my gosh, I totally get it. And they totally, and women are really incredibly gracious. And so it is thrilling to find out that you can put some really healthy boundaries around your work and no one is going to die. Like they're really not, there's no one's going to die. And we're not the only people who can do everything. Yeah. Whoa. Surprise. Like if I don't do it, somebody else can. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody else. I'll be okay. Too many mediocre yeses tend to discolor the good ones because you're just too tired to care. Like this would probably be awesome, but I'm just too tired. So now my yeses are wholehearted and I can really be all in when I'm there and I'm, I'm almost always so glad um, that I said yes. Oh, there, I have so many questions, but the very first time uh, that I got to hear you speak at happy hour, you were, you were talking about really savoring, I don't know the wording you use, but basically like really savoring the small seasons that mm. when we're trying to build a dream, we get so hung up on the idea of we've got to get to the end goal, but That's there's right. something so magical and important about those seasons when you're building we're in such a strange culture where, um, big and flashy is the end game. Yeah. Uh, And and we just see it everywhere because I mean, any sort of moronic thing can get posted online and the next day it has 3 million views. So it's this really like not reasonable, uh, not impractical, 
um, template that's not actually, it doesn't really bear out in real life, but, but we see that. And so I cannot say enough to people in the building stage, not do not despise the small things and the small seasons and the small spaces. There is so much to be learned from that. You know, what's so funny. I have written like 12 books and the first, let's just say eight were just incredibly unread. I mean, nobody read them. I'm pretty sure my mom didn't read them. Like just absolutely just disappeared into the ethos. Just where did they go? I mean, I'm, I'm, I am promise you, I'm not exaggerating. It was just, they were just such low, low, low success rate books, but I never, ever. And I mean it, I do not consider any of that a waste of time or a waste of energy. I do not regret it. I do not despise it because I learned how to be a writer. I learned how to work really hard and not for applause. Let me tell you, working for Mm, applause is a double-edged sword Um, because you'll get it. I mean, you can probably get it, but if people love you that much, they can turn on you that much too. So, and and then it also colors the work because you're doing it to gain notoriety or applause. And so there is something really noble about working and doing your very best stuff for very, very little attention. So I don't ever, ever regret any of that. I'm so thankful for what I learned. I'm so grateful for my own kind of spiritual development during those years. And thank goodness, to be honest with you, I did not have a bigger platform back then because I was an idiot. (laughs) I was an absolute idiot. And I've changed so much since then. And I've learned so much since then. And so I'm frankly glad that nobody was listening to me. So for anybody that's kind of in the early stage or somewhere in the middle, golly, the middle is where we really start to slog it out. I would just say, stay the course, like who you are in the middle and at the beginning is who you will be later down the road. And Mm. you want to protect your integrity. You want to protect your work ethic. You want to be proud of who you are five years from now, um, that you did not sell your soul out to get somewhere new. You didn't sell your people out. Um, you didn't leave a wake of carnage in your disaster, but that you, you saw it through with just with integrity. And so, um, never, ever despise the small space. You don't know what's ahead of you. I don't know what's ahead of you. I don't yeah. know what's ahead of me, yeah. frankly, right now either. Yeah. I do want to be able to look back at every point along the way and be proud of the kind of human being I was, yes. of the sort of writer I was and communicator and teammate. Yeah. Um, and, and none of those are worth sacrificing for success yeah. ever. I've asked you many times to talk me through dealing with trolls on the internet. Um, Uh, I know that's not something that everybody listening to can relate to, but I do mm -hmm. think that everyone could listen to your advice on how do you handle rejection? How do Uh you handle negative feedback, even just from your family, Uh your friends, your church community, whatever. How have you developed a sort of thick skin or been able to keep creating the thing that you love to create in your case, Mm. writing, even when you know that some people are going to hate it. Really, no matter who you are, if you've got eyes and a laptop, there is, there's contention to be had online. I mean, no matter what, I mean, everyone is going to face disagreement, completely different ideology right now, Mm -hmm. different worldviews, different everything. I mean, it feels like sometimes the whole internet is on fire, you know, just, what a dumpster fire. Totally. Um, 
It's just I'm not just even like breakfast. a log cabin beautiful fire, a dumpster <laughs> fire. Dumpster fire full of dirty diapers. I mean, mess. Just yes. a mess. I was yes. having breakfast this morning with a really good friend who's really smart and interesting. And we were just talking about how it feels sometimes like nobody remembers how to have a conversation, how to dialogue across differences. Is that just a lost art? I don't know. I mean, everybody is prioritizing being right. Yes. Um, and, and being heard over being in community. It's a mess. Yeah. So I have a, a handful of rules because I lead like you do such a large online tribe, mm-hmm. which is wonderful and amazing gift. And it's also hard. Yes. Um, anytime you bring together hundreds of thousands of people, mm-hmm. we're not the same. I mean, that, that requires a lot of finesse Yes. to manage. And so some of my rules, I think you and I have some similar ones, which is that at least in my in my space there, I have a zero tolerance for just being ugly and yes. hateful. That's yes. just a no. Yeah. I'm not going to entertain disagree, that. But you cannot be vicious or mean or yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're not going to call names. Yep. We're not going to just be hateful. Yep. And I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna engage that. I'm gonna yep. delete it and I'm gonna block it. Yep. So, I. I I used to feel really bad about that. I did that as if that I was censoring the world until (laughs) somebody was like somebody that I respect was telling me, Jen, think of it like this. This is your party and you're the hostess. You're hosting the party. You've invited all these people. They are your guests. Yes. They're here to be at your party. If somebody came into your party and started kicking over lamps (laughs) and you would kick them out, you you would say, you are not, you can't be at the party because you're ruining the party for everyone else. Yes. So when I kind of started thinking of it in terms of hosting my own party, I'm like, listen, go to, if you don't like this party, go next door. Yes. There's another one. I send you with blessings. Yes. Go with God. We wish you, know? you light and love, but get a out. Light, may, may, may the wind be at your back. <laughs> and so, um, so I have a no tolerance on that, um, which has really been a true gift to my psyche. Yeah. And then I have an instinct when it comes to disagreement for sometimes there is a, a pushback and I, I get the sense this could really be a good conversation. We could like smart, intelligent grownups yes. push and pull on each other a little bit and, and it'll probably be a good dialogue. Yeah, you know, there's you something are incredible here about that. You are incredible. And, and, and other people can be too. Like, here's a, here's my perspective. Okay. I hear you. And here's mine. And it, it, and other times I get the sense there's nothing good to be had here. Yeah. I can push, I can, I can present a counterpoint, but this is going to devolve very quickly. It's got a tinge of anger to it, or just a, you kind of sense this person's not here. They don't, they don't want to hear anything. Yes. They're just making a statement. And so I do not engage that category at all. It's like, it's like, it wasn't even written. I have no problem engaging the first. And my approach to that is simple. I'd like to give people the benefit of the doubt. So even if they have come in and said something, which to me feels offensive or attacking. I prefer to think it's online. Yeah. Tone can be lost. And, and there's something in this person that has, they're, they feel serious about this. This yes. is triggering something. And so uh, uh, really and truly 100 times out of 100, if I will come back in with some grace yeah. and, uh, and like a conciliatory tone and say, here's the place I agree with you. And I, I appreciate that, that you brought that up. And yeah. here's what I would say to that. 
a hundred times it de-escalates. So I put out what I hope to get back. Yeah. In other words, I speak attitude. to people in the way that I would like to be spoken to. Even if I've come out hot headed, yeah. which I can, when somebody speaks graciously back to me, I feel it. Yeah. I feel the hot air, like leave my sails yeah. where I can like come back down to earth and talk to another grown up, intelligent person with respect and with dignity. Yeah. So I, I think we can, I think we can do better. Yeah. But we can't wait for everybody else to do better. Yes. Like, let's just, let's be online who we're hoping everybody else will yeah, be. Yeah, that's so good. Hey guys, we'll be back in a hot minute with more of this interview. But now, a quick word from a sponsor. Want to listen to an audiobook that'll make you feel better about your crappy job? Party Girl takes listeners on an adventure among Hollywood's most beautiful and most outrageous people, revealing the ugly side of Hollywood's prettiest parties. The entire Girl series is now available on Audible, and it's read and written by me. <laughs> Discover the world of Audible Originals today at audible.com. As your as a creator, I'm thinking of specifically anybody who is a creator of anything, of mm-hmm. writing, painting, crafting, baking cookies, whatever. I personally, and this is on my mind because I was just writing about it, feel like for me, writing is the thing that I love to do, and it's mm-hmm. a, in its own way, it is a form of worship. I feel mm. like your creator gave you certain gifts, and to live into them yeah. is is one of the greatest forms of worship. So if you mm. are so concerned with what other people think, with the audience's reaction, with whether or not you're going to get applause, it mm. dilutes the thing that you're trying to create, even if what you're sure trying does. to create is sort of cruddy in the beginning. Yeah. But how do you manage, like for instance, do you read reviews of your books, or do you just write mm. and go, golly, I hope... Hope that lands, but even if it doesn't, I've gotten the words down. Oh, this is so hard. Because whatever it is that you produce, you love it. Yes. It's your it's your sweet little baby that you made. <laughs> and it's just it's so awful when somebody is mean to your baby. Yeah. It's just awful. Yeah. I mean, I, I want to make it not true, but it just is, and that's okay. It's because we're human. Yeah. We're humans. And so criticism of our work and our creativity and our craft and our art is just hard. Yeah. And it, it, it feels really personal because it is. Yeah. Um, and so first of all, I think it's okay to just say out loud, oh God, that really hurt my feelings. Yeah. <laughs> that really sucks. I want to be better at that than I am. So mm. I tell other new writers, do not fall down the rabbit hole of reading your Amazon yeah. reviews. And yes. then I read all of mine. Oh, so, Jen, no wh- way. Why? Oh my why? God. Yes. Why do I hate myself? <laughs> so I'm somewhere in the middle of being good at this and not being good at that. All but right, I will so in say this instance, take advice from me and not Jen Hatmaker. I have not the very first time I got a bad review on my very first book. I went into a yeah. tailspin. Yes. And then I dug myself out of that hole and promised I would never read another review. And I haven't. So smart. So four books later, I have no idea if people like the cookbook. I don't know if you like Sweet Girl or Smart Girl. I have zero idea because I'm writing it for me. And, and gosh, I hope good. you like it, but it's to get the voices out of my head. So That's so good. That's fabulous. And there is, there is a truth that if you're going to be a creator, you simply have to develop a thicker skin. You yeah. have to. Yeah. Or you will not make it. You yeah. won't. You will be crushed and discouraged yep. and disillusioned. And so even if you let some of it in, yeah. um, you, you have to be willing to go, t- to be honest with you, I've had some criticism before that's made me better. 
um, yeah. that, that came to me and I let it in yes. and I hated it and it stung. And I told everybody what terrible people they were and <laughs> they don't, they don't have any discernment. I don't, they're not safe, yes. you know, like all this stuff. And yet when I could get past my defensiveness, mm. it actually made me better. There was some truth yes. to it. And so I try to, I try to suss out which is which sure. there's a difference between, just, um, destructive criticism and constructive yes. criticism. And, and so, I love, yeah. I love an edit. I love, but mm-hmm. I, if I'm reading reviews, it's because I want to read good reviews, right? I yeah. want validation to keep writing and, right. a, and a review is not going to validate me. I can only find that in myself. So, yeah. um, yeah, I love, I love critiques and here's how the work's going to be better, but I don't go there cause it, I it's know so myself and it will shut me down. It will. And it's interesting. It has a flip side too, because it it goes both ways. If we put too much stock in what anybody thinks about a finished product, and there's a difference there too, like there's a place for critique. And for me, it's often in the process. Yes. Uh, Once it's done, critique it all you want. It's done. I can't fix it. Yeah. But if, if you listen too much to the good voices, that love it, you begin to just put too much thought in people's opinion of you. And so, um, to the degree in which that can build you up, it can tear you down to the same degree. Yes. Um, and so that's a lot of power to put in other people's hands. Yeah. Um, and you have absolutely no control over that. And so, um, that there is something really smart about knowing that in the process, you did your best work that you really did. You left it all in the field. Yep. You did not half-ass it. You did not hold back, um, that you really did your best work. And there's something really satisfying in that truly that, you know, I, this is not perfect because nothing is. Yes. Nothing, nothing, ever, ever, ever. But in that but moment, I know this is my season, best work. Yep, this is what I could give. Yep. Yep. So I have uh, five questions that I ask everybody who comes on the show. They're super simple. You're a traveling fool. Tell me some of the things, like the products you have to have with you, the lifesavers when you're on the road. These are your go-tos for travel. Always in my bag is a little bag of almonds. Always. Because I'll tell you, sometimes when you travel, the food sucks. Yep. It just simply does. Or travel days are weird. You're always traveling from California too, which means some of your flights are just eternal. Um, yep. just eternal, like a hundred hours yes. fly forever. Me, because I fly out of an airport. That's not a major airport. My, I always have connections. My point is this. Uh, okay. Sometimes the way that I travel over the course of a day means I don't get to eat. I, yes. I, I there's not a meal. I don't, I yep. don't. So almonds, almonds, yep. I have eaten a hundred thousand pounds of almonds <laughs> in the last 10 years. So um, chapstick. Yep. I have a pair of flip flops that I just keep in my bag. Yeah. Sometimes I'm a girl who wears shoes that are dumb and then (laughs) I don't want to wear them anymore. So flip flops. Yep. At least three extra rubber bands because I can just only have my hair down for so long. I just can't. It's not the way God made me. He made me to put my hair up. (laughs) I've almost never made it through a day with my hair down the hall. At some point I'm just like, ah, you have it on your neck. (laughs) And then I always travel with a book. I love to read and I'm a really super fast reader. Yeah, me too. Um, so I generally travel with two books because I read on planes yeah. and in between that's my pleasure reading time. And I read so fast that I finish like one book on the way and one book on the, and on the way home. And you have a physical book, not like an e-reader? I'm so old fashioned. Yeah. You like, you like I'm so old fashioned. Yeah. 
It doesn't even make sense. I have an e-reader, yeah. of course. But I just, I don't know why. I like to have books, and then I like to retire them to my library. And I'm yes. a book loner. Yes. And so my people come over like it's a library here. Yeah, you do. Um, I, I have I have seen the books in your house mm-hmm. before. There, there are many. And which is such a great thing. I feel like I read on e-reader, and then if they're good, I'll go buy the physical book so I can loan it out. Oh, yeah. I've done that exact same thing. And I am really, I am like a stern old lady librarian. I write my name oh, in every yeah. single book. Oh yes. And, and if you I, don't I have return, a list. Yeah. yeah. I, when you, you borrow a, list? a book. Ooh, oh, I, I need a list. Yeah, I do. Like a card catalog. Yeah. I mean, I have a list who took what and when they took it. I yes. said, can you even imagine how I can stingy? because it really bothers me when someone steals a book. Because, especially when it's a book that I loved. Cause I feel like exactly. I have, I've like worn grooves into that book. I want my Same. book back. What time do you get up in the morning? I want it to be by six <laughs> and it's usually by about six seventeen. Oh, that's, what? Okay. that's so good. I thought you were going to say it was like 10. Come on. That's okay. oh, yes. What is your coffee order? I prefer coffee in my house. So oh, okay. I, I don't actually love coffee shop coffee. It's too much of everything. Yeah. Too much creamer, too much sugar, too much flavor too, too anyways. So my favorite coffee is that I make it in my own coffee maker and I use, this is so, I mean, it's just childish, but I love coconut creamer. I mean, it's, all it is, is a whole vat of chemicals. That's all it is. <laughs> Not one real ingredient, nothing. Um, what is okay. your lunch, lunchtime routine? I work from home and my lunchtime routine, which is right around 12 or 1230 every single day is eating leftovers. I am a leftover evangelist. <laughs> I, I will never throw out leftovers if I can help it. Yeah. And so I'll piece together the weirdest thing you ever saw. Here's like old Brussels sprouts. <laughs> and here were some eggs from this morning. Yeah. And here's the, the dregs of like the pita chips that I made with hummus. I mean, I don't care what it is. Yeah. I'll eat it. But and I watch the Food Network. It. Yes. I watch the Food Network every single lunch. So it's usually Ina Garden, who I so just adore. Fun. She's so funny. Her and Jeffrey. They make me laugh so you hard. You know my dog is named Jeffrey after Jeffrey Garden. I no, know why I you did would not know that. know that. Yes. And it's hilarious to yell Jeffrey or Jeff at a dog all day. Oh, my gosh. Yep. That is so She's excellent. perfect name. I'm so jealous. Ina Garten's husband. Come on. What is your favorite workout, physical activity, something you do to, to move around, get yourself going? I'm embarrassed to say this because it sounds so whatever, but I just have discovered surprisingly that I really like yoga. Oh, <laughs> it, that's great. It just sounds like something trendy people say, No, but I, I really love it. I love the calm. I love my quiet mind. I love the quiet room. I like the mind body connection. That's great. Um, I'm not really an adrenaline junkie. And oh, so, see, yeah, I have trouble with yoga cause it's too slow for me. Yep. That's what a lot of my friends say. And I get that. It is incredibly slow. It's like, it's almost not moving forward. It's so slow. (laughs) Uh, And I love it. We lay there on our backs for five minutes at the end. Yeah. It's just so excellent. Everything I ever wanted. So the last thing that I will ask you is um, something I wanted to ask every woman that I spoke with. The podcast is called Deus. So a Deus is a platform from which you speak. And if there's one thing that you feel like, sort of like your soapbox moment, the thing that just mm-hmm. fires you up so much that you see women today doing in business, mm-hmm. in life, whatever, mm-hmm. that if you, like, if you could shake them by the shoulders and get them to yeah. listen to you, this is the topic you would tell mm-hmm. them. I love that. 
I have such a long list I that know. I could put in right here because I feel so strongly about so many things pertaining to women. But I think one thing that thrills me, and every time I see it, and every time I'm the recipient of it, I just feel expansive. I love it when women understand that we are not in competition with each other mm-hmm. and your success does not diminish mine. Yes. So rather, you know, I love that old um, saying that a, a rising a rising tide lifts all the boats in the harbor. Yes. And so when women are generous with their platform, with their attention, with their praise, um, with their shared knowledge and expertise toward other women, like how can I help you succeed? How can I improve your platform? How can I promote your thing? I, I, I swoon. I mean, yes. absolutely swoon. It's so good for the community. It's so good for the world. Yes. And so I just, I know that a lot of women come into business and work and adulthood with this scarcity mentality that Mm -hmm. there's just not enough to go around. And so I cannot cheer you on because in some way it will take away from my slice of the pie, but it's just simply not true. It really isn't true. I have had such just profound growth when I have been able to reach my hands out on either side and grab the hands of other people in my space, out of it, like me, not like me. It doesn't really matter and say, I am for you. And then to be a recipient of that too. I mean, it's just truly beautiful. And so don't imagine that we are in competition with one another. We are sisters. Yes. What's good for one woman is good for all women, really. Um, And so I would love to see us grab a hold of that and live out of it with big, expansive, wide generosity. Um, I think it could, I think it could just change the landscape of what it looks like to be a woman. Gosh, I love that. Thank you so much for, for, I mean, this is in line with anything that I think anybody who knows you or follows you would find, but, um, I feel like it's so important for everyone to hear and sit with that knowledge. I love the saying, um, a candle doesn't lose anything by lighting another candle. Love it. Yeah. Perfect. So I so feel it. I so appreciate your time today. I think uh, I still pinch myself that I that you know and will do this with me. I still, it still freaks me out and I can't even believe it. And I think how many times I have um, sincerely thanked God because I get access to you even in a small Mm. way and that you have been such an incredible mentor and shared so much wisdom with me over the course of our friendship. So Mm, what a nice thing to say. Oh my gosh, it's so true. And I'm just, my heart is swelling because I know that there are women who are listening to this who have not heard your wisdom before and are going to walk away so much stronger and more empowered for having heard your words. Thank you so much to Jen. Be sure and check out her latest book, For the Love, one of my favorites she's ever written. They are available everywhere books and ebooks are sold. You can also find out more about her on jenhatmaker.com. Hey guys, if you like this episode, I hope you will consider subscribing to the Deus podcast on iTunes, sharing it with your friends, and showing some love on social media. For a newbie show like mine, those reviews are everything. Thanks to our producer, Allison Cohen our sound engineer, Jack Noble, and our sound editor, Andrew Weller. To stay in touch with all things Deus, you can check out thechicsite.com or follow me on social media. I am Ms. Rachel Hollis on every single platform. Most importantly, I hope you heard something today that inspires you. I'll see you next week.